This week on Myths and Legends, it's two stories from Jewish folklore, or we'll see how you shouldn't beg for that chance to show off how lowly and humble you can be. You might just get it. And how you should keep your promises. Because, well, your demon captors definitely will keep theirs. The creature this time is that little guy sitting naked on top of a mushroom in your garden. This is Myths and Legends, episode 330, The Gilded Cage. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today, there are two stories from Jewish folklore about that time where you can take a hard look at your life and make a change, or stay completely the same. Both of those are options for today's protagonists, and they bring vastly different outcomes. Today's stories are Yiddish folktales from the late medieval and early modern period. The first story takes place in the city of Amsterdam, with the king of the Netherlands demonstrating loudly how nice and progressive he is by yelling at school children and their teacher. You speak Hebrew, the king said to the Melamed. In Hebrew? Yes, the Jewish school teacher said. He was in a Jewish school. Uh, how was that surprising? You speak Hebrew? I speak Hebrew, the king beamed. The Melamed said that once again, that wasn't as special as the king seemed to think. Early modern Jewish people speaking Hebrew in a school for Jewish children in the part of the town you made us li- The king's guard cleared his throat. The teacher stopped. He said, still. Sure. It was admirable of the king to take the time and effort to learn the language of their people. The king smiled. Thank you. I am admirable. The teacher resumed the lesson in progress when the king barged in. Then stopped. Oh, the king was... Sticking around, then? Is that okay? The king asked. Do I have any choice in the matter at all? The Melamed looked nervously at the kids. You do not! The Melamed nodded. Well, then, he was happy to have the king. Okay, so where were we? The teacher said, yes, that's right. God topples the mighty to the ground and raises the lowly to the heavens. <clears throat> the king cleared his throat. The Melamed looked to the city's ruler Yes. How could he help his majesty? The king said that, well, I mean, <laughs> no, right? That that wasn't a thing. The Melamed said it was his teaching. The king said, yeah, but he was the king. He was mighty. He was pretty sure he would never be toppled. On the contrary, the Melamed said, taking a deep breath. He knew what he was doing. He wouldn't alter the truth to suit the whims of this man-child who had never been told no, not even to save himself. On the contrary, the Melamed repeated, God can turn a king into a beggar, and a beggar into a king. The room was silent. The king's guard's hands were already on their weapons. The king was clenching his jaw so hard it looked like his teeth might crack. The king took a deep breath 
and then relaxed. Okay. Prove it. What? The Melomed said. Yeah. Prove it, the king pointed. Prove that a beggar can be a king? Do you really want what you're asking? The Melomed looked at the king and then to the guards, who were, frankly, surprised they hadn't been given the signal to get this guy's head. The king pointed at the teacher. You prove to me that a beggar can be a king, and I'll reward you. If you can't, I'll have your head. The Melamed wasn't deterred. Okay, fine. Five days. Five days, and he would begin to prove what the king asked. Excellent. The king put his hands on his knees and rose. Welp, he would leave the Melamed to it. Don't try to flee the city, or that's an immediate execution. See you in five days. It's bath time for him now. As the king and his retinue shuffled out of the room, the children turned to the Melamed, who didn't appear the least bit ruffled or nervous. He could die in five days. Was he worried? How was he going to make a king into a beggar and a beggar into a king? The Melamed smiled. He told the children he would need to end class early today and summoned the 36 holy men without whom the world could not exist. He the Melamed, wouldn't do anything. He told the children, there were forces of darkness always at work. The people of this world didn't realize how much was done to protect them. Like he said, he wouldn't do anything. He would simply allow the darkness to have its way for a bit. As for him, he wasn't worried. In fact, it was the king who should be scared. everybody turn around no one's sneaking a peek the king yelled at the riverside his men had cleared it out and assured him as tempting as it was no one wanted to watch the king bathe they were lying he was sure but he felt exposed naked by the riverside and after another quick glance to make sure no one was watching he waded into the river he began washing himself and submerged All right, where are my clothes? The king barked. The men began to turn around, but the king shouted that they were to keep their eyes forward. Throw his clothes back. They did, and it wasn't long before the king strode out from their line. Back to the palace. Let's go. The men were a little alarmed, not expecting the king to be finished so soon, so they gathered their things and rushed after him. Not five minutes later, the real king not the demon that had assumed his form, swam over to the riverside. His toes found pebbles and he grinned. That was a great bath. Went a little long, but whatever. Hey, wait. Where were all those guys with his clothes? No matter what your impression is of the Middle Ages or early modern period, a naked man running screaming through the street was not a usual sight. The people laughed at the king, not knowing that he was the king, as he ran home. His precious feet bruised and bloodied. By the time he made it, he was in need of a second bath that day, with the grime of the street having been splashed on him as he ran. He pointed up to his palace with a quivering finger. His palace, this was his home. He rushed the fence, 
and found two crossed spear shafts blocking his way. The king backed up and stomped his bare foot. He was freezing out here. He demanded the guards part at once and allow him into his palace. The men became serious for about two seconds. Then they broke out laughing. Wow, with that tone, he actually did sound a little like the king. It's because I am the king, the king cried. They said, okay, it was less funny this time. It's just the same joke again. Besides, the king's already in the palace, and he also doesn't show up naked and covered in what's, let's hope, is horse droppings. Let me through, the king screamed, really wishing he had taken the time to learn these men's names, or really anything at all about them. That would be really handy right now. He was rebuffed by the spear shafts, and warned not to try it again. All this time, there was a growing crowd around the naked, filthy king. The people of the city were pointing and laughing. But it was only humiliating until someone chucked a rock. Then things kicked off. The king, rubbing the spot on his back, turned around and shouted at the crowd. Who did that? Did they have any idea who he was? He would have them all executed if, uh, well, then his next words were cut off by an even bigger rock. The king picked himself up off the ground. Okay, he definitely saw that one. That guy was, well, he was irrelevant because the people swarmed him. The crowd might not have agreed with the guy who threw the initial rock, but when the man turned around all indignant with a do-you-know-who-I-am air threatening all of them, they didn't feel super bad about showing him their displeasure. With punches. All right, all right, ease up, one of the guards said, stepping into the fray. You can't kill him. Then he paused and looked to his co-worker. They, they couldn't kill him, right? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, they couldn't kill him. You can't kill him. After a bit more yelling, they finally got the people to back off the king, who was curled up and sobbing in the street. I said, back away, the guard yelled at one of the peasants approaching, but relaxed when he spotted the tattered cloak in the man's hands. He waved the peasant through, and the king gripped the cloak, thanking the man marveling at the first act of true, unselfish kindness he had ever experienced, a gift from a man he could do nothing for. The next few weeks had more of those. If the king could be shocked by the cruelty of the world outside of his soft, warm palace, he could also be surprised by how people were willing to help each other out. He spent the following few hours wandering listlessly in the capital. Eventually, that night, he felt hands leading him inside a shack, where he was helped into a bath and given some clothes that the people of the house apparently didn't need. He thanked the people, still thinking, still hoping, that he was in a nightmare from which he could wake. He stumbled back out into the street. A few hours later, he heard and felt the rumbling in his stomach, and he slumped down on the side of a building. Then he laughed. He remembered his conversation earlier that day and what felt like a lifetime ago. God topples the mighty to the ground. He held out his hands to the people passing by, hoping that he would be able to get enough money to buy something to eat before he starved. He did. Get enough money, that is, not starve. But four days later, he awoke to a spear butt at his side. There was a new edict from the king. All beggars were forced to leave the city under pain of death. The king knew that whoever, whatever, took his place 
was behind this. But the king's word was law. He joined the group of beggars the guards were prodding along, and together they left for the villages outside the capital. Villages, towns, and eventually other cities. The king learned the ways of the world. The world he thought he ruled and controlled as a king. He realized that there was so little he knew of its ways and its people. Months passed, and in his wanderings, he found his way back to the capital. His life as a king, by now, was half-remembered, like a dream. As he walked through a particular part of town, he heard a voice echoing from a school. The Melamed. The king stood in the doorway with a smile as the Melamed finished his lesson. You didn't interrupt this time, the Melamed grinned. The king said he realized that he wasn't always the most important person in the room. Months spent relying on the kindness of strangers helped him to realize that. The Melamed smiled himself. He beckoned the king inside. The man looked like he could use a good meal, and he smelled like he could use a bath. We'll see the teacher make good on the other half of his lesson, but that will be right after this. Who's squeezing in one last getaway this summer? Before you take off, protect your home with the latest innovation from Simply Safe Home Security 24 7 Live Guard Protection. It's designed to help stop crime in real time. Now, if an intruder breaks into your home, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can actually see, speak to, and deter them through the new Smart Alarm wireless indoor camera, warning them that the police are on their way. And that the intruder is being recorded. Obviously, that can make all the difference. And Simply Safe's professional monitoring agents are there, ready, and waiting. It's like you're not alone. Exactly. Consistent service, peace of mind, all the technology, even in this newest camera with advanced advanced motion detection and vision AI, it can sense the difference between potential threats and all of our pets. Best of all, both the smart alarm indoor camera and 24-7 live guard protection work seamlessly as part of the entire Simply Safe security system that we already know and love. So it's easy to add and keep our home safe from break-ins, fires, flooding, and everything else. Right now, Myths and Legends listeners get a special 20% off any Simply Safe system when you sign up for a free month trial of fast protect monitoring. This special offer is for a limited time only. Visit simplysafe.com slash legends. That's simplysafe.com slash legends. There's no safe like Simply Safe. I'm I'm sorry for the way I treated you. I didn't know. Well, that's not true. I didn't want to know. I didn't see outside myself. It wasn't malice. It was just selfishness, which I guess is a form of malice. Regardless, will you please forgive me? The Melamed said, of course. He nodded at the doorway. The freshly showered king's hair was pulled back. What was going on? The person behind him began to cut his hair, while the one who stood in front of him began the preliminary measurements. The Melamed smiled. He was going to demonstrate the other half of his lesson. He was going to show that God could turn a beggar into a king. Are you serious? The king looked at the church. That was all he had to do? That's all you have to do, the Melamed smiled. No, like, 
big fight sequence, no contending with the great cosmic evil powers? The king asked, a little disappointed. Is that the takeaway in this story of humility? That you're going to get into a fight with a demon because you're so powerful? The king looked to the ground. Yeah, sorry. No, got it. Okay. Oh, he's here, the Melamed said, pointing to the entrance of the church. The royal carriage slowed with a creak. A couple of attendants rushed from a nearby vehicle to help their king get into the church. Now, now is the time, the Melamed whispered. The king hesitated. I... Thank you. I won't forget this, the king said to his friend. He emerged from the shadows. He slipped in a side door to the church and waited. Let us pray, the minister said. Everyone bowed their heads. The king emerged. When his advisors opened their eyes, their king was in front of them, filling their vision. Gather your things. We need to leave, the king demanded. The servants looked to each other, but the service hadn't even started. The quail has left the nest. The king looked at the servants. The servants' eyes widened. Oh, no. A toilet emergency. Three? The servant grimaced. He turned to his other. Clear a path. They needed to leave immediately. They rushed from the church without looking back. Did you get a haircut? At church? The driver asked the king as he emerged from the service. How dare you look at me, let alone address me? Wait, no, the king started to say, then paused. He took a deep breath. Wow, this power thing, it was intoxicating. He shook it off. Yes, actually, he did. I like it, the driver smiled, and the king boarded his carriage. It wasn't an hour before the demon emerged from the church. He looked left and right. His servants and his carriage were both gone. He shrugged and began walking down the street. Everyone he passed thought that the beggar who was in town a few months back seemed to be doing pretty well for himself. Seemed like he had a reversal in fortune. They had no idea how right they were. says, was a friend of the Jewish people of the city after that. This story is set in Amsterdam, and there's a bit of history attached to it. The Dutch declared independence from the Spanish in the 16th century, partly from the desire to be practicing Protestants without persecution. Stemming from that idea, they enshrined religious tolerance into their constitution. This attracted people of Jewish faith and ethnicity to the Netherlands, where they flourished for hundreds of years. My son, the rich old man said. Yes, father, the merchant's son said, holding his father's hand. He was also holding back tears. He was trying to be strong for dad. My boy, I love you. I have worked all my life so that in the event of my death, you would be well provided for, the dad coughed. The son waited for him to finish. He said he knew. His father had worked hard all of his life, but not in the way that he neglected his only son. They had a wonderful relationship. My son, you will want for nothing, but I must ask you, when I leave you, 
you must not travel anywhere by sea. Merchant said, of course, of course. As far as deathbed wishes went, this was a surprisingly easy one to fulfill. He held his father close. He would never travel anywhere by sea. Besides, with all his father had left him, he would never need to travel anywhere at all. With that assurance, his father smiled and laid back. His son, the merchant, held his hand as he passed. The merchant's son, though he was now without his parents, lived a full life in the city of his birth. He married and his wife gave birth to a boy. Like he told his father, he never had any reason to leave. And if he did, he wouldn't have forsaken his father's final wish and he finished reading the letter that just arrived from across the sea. Dear sir, Congratulations! Here in Country Across the Sea, there is a grand fortune awaiting you. It was owed to your father, rich merchant dad. The son thought about it. That did sound right. His dad was a rich merchant who did business with a lot of people. The fact that the letter was saying that he, the son, was owed a lot of money also helped. He kept reading. You should come and get it. Simply show up, here, at City and Country Across the Sea, and we can give you all the money you're owed. Signed, People Who Owe You Money. The merchant wrinkled his nose. Ooh, yeah. He, he did remember his dad saying something about traveling across the sea. It had been nearly a decade now, so things were a bit fuzzy, but he thought back. My son... The rich old man had said, Yes, father, the merchant's son said, holding his father's hands and also holding back tears. And also his hair looked way cooler back then. He should go back to that haircut. He was trying to be strong. For dad. My boy, I love you. I have worked all my life so that, in the event of my death, you would be well provided for. The dad coughed. My son... You will want for nothing, but I must ask you, when I leave you, you must not travel anywhere by sea. Then, there was a long pause, the son remembered. Then, you must not travel anywhere by sea unless you get a letter from people in city in country across the sea, saying that they owe you a lot of money from a business deal I did there. The merchant's son nodded. There it is. Then... His dad froed his brow. Wait, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. No, no, I didn't. I was very clear. Don't travel across the sea for any reason. It is so dangerous, the father sat up in bed. But as you just said, and I remember, you said I could go if someone owed me a bunch of money, the merchant smiled. His dad was very sick. He was probably confused. No. I'm not confused. You're adding bits to justify traveling by sea. Why do you need to travel by sea? Money isn't more important than your life. But what about your wife, your child? What if something happens to you? Wait, you never met them? The merchant was puzzled. Yeah, but you know them, and this is all in your head. We're not going to go over the mechanics of all this. Why do you want to go? You don't need the money. I'll be real. I'm bored. I want to go explore a bit. I've lived in the city my whole life. The merchant looked at the floor. So take up a hobby. You could collect stuff. Falconry, huh? 
big angry birds digging into your arm? Hmm? The merchant shook his head. No, he was going to do it. He clearly remembered Dad saying he was cool with it. That's what he was going with. It's delusion. Self-delusion. Bad faith. The father shouted, pointing. La 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 la. This is what I'm choosing to remember. You're cool with it. Love you, Dad. The merchant plugged his ears. Just like he remembered, his dad was cool with it. Really, it was just one boat trip. People took them all the time. What could go wrong? Everything, everything is going wrong, the merchant said as the salt water stung his face clinging to the mast as it slowly descended into the sea. The lightning struck the water nearby as the sailors around him clung to whatever they could. The last thing he remembered was seeing the mast break after all the damage it sustained. It came down to greet him, hard on his head. gasped awake. It was warm, bright. He saw his dad. He looked around. Wait, was this, was he dead? My boy, his father walked over. He was like the merchant remembered from when he was a kid, tall, strong, not like in the later days when he became sick. His father took his hand into his own. Welcome to paradise. The son smiled. Wow. He was so glad he was here. It was terrifying there at the end. It always is. But you have made it, my son. There is just one thing you need to know. The son nodded. Yes, Papa? Was it the purpose of it all? The answer to life, the universe, and everything? My boy, the one thing you need to know is I told you so. The merchant son staggered back. Wait, this wasn't paradise. Paradise isn't your parents constantly telling you that they knew better than you and lecturing you about your mistakes. I mean, it is if you're a parent, his dad noted. Wait, am I even dead? His father said he didn't know because, well, his son didn't know whether he lived or died. Probably in like a coma or something. Maybe he was on his way to dying. He, the father, was just a personification of his son's repressed guilt. Probably. The son shook his head. That was a one-in-a-million storm, is what he heard the sailors say before most of them died. Yeah, but a storm that could have been avoided. By you. If you just listened to your dad. I don't like this. I don't want to be here, the son yelled. You were wrong, and your dad was right, and you should have listened to your dad, the son heard. He looked off into the peaceful nothingness. I want to wake up! He gasped again. And he was awake, looking down at the earth. From hundreds of feet in the air. He screamed, I want to go back to sleep! I want to go back to sleep! We'll see why a giant bird is carrying the merchant. Just kidding. The story doesn't address that at all. But we will see where it's taking him. That will, once again, be right after this. 
the eagle led him down outside of a house. All in all, not bad. His ears pricked up when he heard the voices of the children. They were, wait, Jewish children. He walked over to the hut and pulled the curtain aside. Hey, it was a Melamed sitting around the table with his pupils, but not the one from the previous story, a different Melamed. The group screamed and pulled him inside. Were you seen? The Melamed said, pulling him to the back of the hut while someone else checked the road outside. No, what? A giant bird just dropped me off here for some reason? Wait, is that something that happens in your land? Also, where am I? You fool. You could have cost us everything. We're hidden here. You, you're in the land of demons. He didn't cost them everything, thankfully. Not quite sure what the rules are for living or travel in the land of demons, but let's say that the humans could only travel in the full daylight, and they didn't go into the valley where the light never touched. We're mixing Lion King and vampire rules here, but whatever the rules, the merchant's son promised them that he could absolutely, positively follow them no matter what. Wait, was it never go in the valley or always go into the valley? He asked himself as he found himself halfway through the valley in the deep, dark forest. He knew it was definitely one of those things. As the demon's claw hooked into his shoulder and he slowly lowered to the ground, he was sure. It was definitely never go into the valley. So, shall I kill him now or kill him later? The king of demons laughed. The rest of the fiends cackled. I, I know it. My vote would be if you're asking around, the merchant's son said, putting pressure on his shoulder to stop the bleeding. The king of demons laughed. This one, he liked this one, and he needed a new slave after he ate the last one. The merchant said that the preferred nomenclature was enslaver and enslaved now. It didn't strip the identity of the person who was enslaved and put the onus of the act on the enslaver. The king of demons waited a bit. Demons, yes, got it, the merchant's son said. Of course, they wouldn't reuse the right terms. He held his wrists out and another demon put chains on them. Generally, there is not a lot of social mobility when it comes to slavery, but the lone human really distinguished himself, not just because he was the lone human in the land of demons and desperately didn't want to get eaten, but because he wanted to work really hard. His father, in an attempt to help his son, never really gave the son a chance to prove himself. The first month, he was swabbing out the demon lavatories the bad ones. Then he was cleaning linens, then cleaning rooms, then running deliveries, then messages. Everything he did, he did with professionalism and aplomb, treating each job like he was running a country. Until, well, he was basically running a country. When I brought you on, I was like, King of Demons, what are you doing? This is a human. You hate the humans. But I gave you a shot, and you did so much with it the king of demons said to the merchant's son. Now, I'm going away to make war, and I'm going to leave you in charge. Human man, I'm giving you the literal keys to the kingdom, the king of demons said to the merchant. The merchant said, but what about everyone else in the kingdom? Yeah, they're demons, the king of demons said. Their defining characteristics are betrayal, 
Also, you're way easier to just like eat or something if you mess up, so don't mess up. The king of demons handed over a set of iron keys. You can use these. They open any door in the kingdom, even the small door in the deepest part of the dungeon. And I'm very aware that me telling you about it will make it very tempting to go open it. If our thing is betrayal, your thing is very much not being able to resist temptation. Just don't do it, though. It will go very badly for you. It's more of a Koshe the Deathless thing than a Bluebeard thing. The merchant's son said he didn't have the cultural context to make sense of either of those references, so, well, you don't need to. Just don't go in the room. Promise? Promise, the merchant's son said with a thumbs up. 48 hours later, the merchant was standing in front of the room. Now, what did he remember the king of demons saying about this particular room? Whatever you do, don't go into this room. Unless you're super curious and you hear a beautiful woman singing on the other side of the door. Promise? Promise, the merchant's son said with a thumbs up. Well, that settles it. Wait, the memory, king of demons said, furrowing his likely red and hairy brow. Nope, the merchant said, waving his hands and shaking his head. He knew better than to stick around for that part. He was back in the deepest dungeon, listening to the beautiful music from behind the door. He opened it and saw her. So, a number of things happened next. The merchant's son was horrified by the daughter of the king of demons there, but not as horrified as he was by her dad, who showed up immediately in a puff of brimstone, or by the prospect of his own mortality, which was of immediate concern when the king of demons' hands began to glow red hot. But then, something blocked his view. Well, not something, but someone. The daughter of the king of demons stood between him and her father, shielding the merchant. Father, no. I love him. What? what? Both men said in unison. Now, it was either certain death or being married to the princess of demons. It was a close choice, but death being permanent, and the marriage, like the one he was already in, being apparently something that he could maybe eventually get out of, the merchant opted to marry the princess of demons and live. Still, it was a very close choice. My boy, the merchant said to Shloimi, his half-demon son, it had been a long few years in demon land. Still, he was happy, he assured his wife and everyone who asked him. Why? What made them think he wasn't? He was totally cool. He loved it here. Hey, babe, the daughter of the king of demons said to her husband. She noticed that he was sighing a lot more lately. Looking wistfully off in the distance, he said, Oh, she noticed? That, uh, yeah, he just, with Shloimi growing up, he remembered his old wife. His other son, his human son. He wasn't unhappy here. He just thought he owed it to them. To let them know that he was alright. Because he was an honorable man of integrity. Who always did what he said. She smiled, bearing her tusks. He was. That was part of the reason she loved him. 
He wasn't like all the other guys who were literally demons. How about this? He could go home. Three months, settle up his affairs, but he had to promise to come back. He had responsibilities here too. He said, of course, of course, yes, he would. Remember all that stuff about how honest and integrifull, integrityful he was? He would come back. She kissed him. She knew. Bye, demon lady, the merchant waved as the townspeople shrieked all around him after a fiend dropped him off in the middle of the city. He ran home. He told his wife and friends the harrowing tale about how he had been shipwrecked. And some other stuff happened, don't worry about that. And he was brought home safely. His wife knew something was up, but just saw it as the merchant needing to do whatever he had to in order to get home. She, and his now mostly grown-up son, accepted him back. Three months later, he woke up next to his wife, gasping. Wow. She sat up next to him and rubbed his back. Did he have that same dream again? He said, yeah, the weird one, where the demons handed him letters saying, you disregard your promise at your peril. It's weird, right? How our brains just kind of like make up meaningless nonsense that shouldn't be read into at all while we sleep. The next night, though, the merchant found himself back in his cave. His demon son, Shloimi, sitting there. Father, you promised you would be back. Shloimi looked at him. The merchant said, was that really what he said? He closed his eyes and shook his head. All right, reboot. Let's do this over. What are you doing? Shloimi asked. The father looked around. Wait, this wasn't a memory? No, it's I'm, I'm magically talking to you, bridging time and space, the son said. What did you think this was? Oh, just this thing I do where I pretend, you know what, never mind. Uh, look, sometimes things work out. Sometimes dad's got to leave because, well, I never really loved your mom and was just doing it to live and I didn't want to be your dad in the first place. You know, these things happen, the merchant said. Shlemy grew sad and really angry. Well, then he was almost glad his mother was leading an army of demons to sack the city. What? The merchant screamed. He slapped himself and he was back in his bed. He awoke to screaming in the street. The demons had arrived. Look, cards on the table. I lied to demons. Is that really even lying? The merchant said. Yes, it is, the rabbi replied. And you also lied to your father, also your demon half-son. Also, that letter you showed me was obviously written by demons. They knew how to get to you. Okay, cool. We'll just stay here high-roading me while the city burns, or you can help me get out of this terrible marriage, the merchant said. The way I see it, they just want you, the rabbi said. All we need to do is give you up, and we're all safe. And from what I can tell, that wouldn't be any great loss. The man sat back and crossed his arms. The merchant's eyes widened. But your marriage, under the law, to the demons was both under duress, you were already married, and it was between a human and a demon. So 
it's forbidden, the rabbi sighed. So, yes, he could get out of the marriage. Oh, my God. The merchant stopped himself. Didn't say it. Go me. Uh, So you'll talk to them? Yes, the rabbi groaned. I will talk to them. The rabbi returned shortly. So, he had news. The city would be safe. The merchant wouldn't have to return to the land of demons. And he wouldn't have to remain married to the demon princess. The merchant grinned. Great. So they listened to the rabbinical court. They listened to the rabbinical court, the rabbi said. The demons had no choice, but it was a fair ruling. She did want one thing in return, and the court did already grant her request. She wanted a kiss. One final kiss from the man she believed to be her husband. <laughs> then I get off scot-free? Uh, yes, please, the merchant laughed. Wow, this was going to work out perfectly. Yeah, just be careful, the rabbi warned. You know what they say about making a deal with the devil? That there's never any downside and you always get what you want, no strings attached? Yeah, sure seems that way, the merchant said, puckered up and left the city. Yeah, that's pretty much what I was worried about, the rabbi said as he and... Everyone else from the wall watched the demon princess strangling the merchant. Are we gonna do something? Someone asked. What can we do? One last kiss. He won't return to the land of the demons. He won't stay married to her. He might not have been one for keeping his promises, but they sure were. When she was through, the princess of the demons let the merchant drop, and everyone learned a valuable deadly lesson about keeping promises. Well, except for the one who needed it the most. I actually enjoy reading books on ethics and moral philosophy, and it is an interesting moral question whether the merchant should be honest absolutely all the time, and if he owes his captors honesty. Personally, I don't think so. I'm not that much of a hard deontologist. That being said, if he kept his promise to his dad, he wouldn't have been in the position to need to deceive to survive in the first place. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site and on Apple Podcasts. For less than the price of grass flip-flops, flip-flops with grass where your foot touches, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show. That, sadly, won't help when someone tells you to touch grass. With flip-flops, you can just lift up your nasty, dead grass flip-flop foot and show them that you're already there. Check out mythpodcast.com membership or find the show on Apple Podcasts. The creature this time is the Pisky from Cornwall in the United Kingdom. The Pisky enjoys making your life as difficult as it thinks you deserve. Sometimes that means helping you out. Sometimes that means braiding your horse's mane and riding it to a lather across the countryside and getting you lost in the moors. They sound like they'd be unnerving to look at. They have a long hair and beard, but the strangest thing of all is that their face is wider than it is long, their mouth stretches completely from ear to ear, and it's full of jagged teeth like it's, I don't know, huggy-wuggy or whatever. Their feet are more like frogs than human feet, and despite being mentioned as wearing tattered clothes, 
There are a ton of drawings of them naked, clutching their knees on top of mushrooms. You shouldn't offer them new clothes or else they'll disappear. But I guess they're pretty happy because anyone said to laugh without restraint is said to laugh like a pisky. If you're looking for metal in the ground, all you have to do is follow the pisky into the mines. Yes, if you hear singing in the dark down in the mines, I guess go toward it and hope it's not some monster trying to lead you to your death down in the darkness for the lulls. Additionally, if you want to transmute some tin into silver like we all do, simply put it on a Cornish anthill and you'll get silver or tin covered in ants, depending on the timing of the moon. They're thought to be the souls of original Celts in the area, who refused to convert to Christianity, or the pre-Christian gods that existed in Cornwall before the saints came marching in. Their punishment, I guess, is complete free reign, in the form of a magical creature, who gets to help or mess with people almost forever. I say almost, because apparently they'll keep shrinking until they disappear. Probably entering some Ant-Man-style quantum realm, full of questionable CGI and yelling. I guess some fates are worse than death. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>